And now, the simple thrills of a standard man. Alright everyone, how's it going? How you doing out there? I'm Larry Thibodeau, Larry Tib LT. You can call me what you want. If you must. If you have to. I don't care. I ain't scared. I'll still come back. That's right. I'll come back. Hey, thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. And that is for real. So where are we going to start today? Oh, the trail run yesterday. So we're currently training for a couple of different races here. My little running crew. And uh, we were out in scenic, lovely scenic Fairfax County, Virginia yesterday morning, running in Bull Run Marina, in between Bull Run Marina and Fountainhead Park. And uh, we're going along. We got out there kind of early. There aren't a whole lot of people out on the trail. And the three of us are running. And when you're running out on a trail, in certain areas of the trail, you can't run side by side because the trail becomes thin. So you end up running in, in a group. And anyways, I'm a little bit slower than Rob and Tracy, so I'm a little bit behind. So a lot of times, we're in a single file line. And when you're running forward and talking, sometimes the lead person has to turn their head so that they can talk loud enough so that you can hear what's going on behind you. I'm just sort of setting up the scene so you understand what's going on. Now, we aren't in any stretch screaming at each other. We're just talking, having a good time, running on this course. And we come up to a hill, and at the bottom of a hill, there's this old man with his dog on a leash looking up at us, just, just looking up. So we start heading down the trail, or down the hill, and when we get to the bottom of the hill, Rob, who's in the front, says good morning to the guy. And he says, you know, I've heard you a whole mile, in a, or I heard you from half a mile away. You need to hold it down. Now, mind you, we are on a public trail. Public open trail. And it is easy 9.30 in the morning now. Around no houses. And Rob and Tracy thought that they were that the guy was kidding, you know. They both were like, ah, right. And he says, no, you need to hold it down. You're talking too loud. And then Rob's like, well, this is a public trail. And he says, I don't care. You're disturbing other people on the trail. And then Trace says something to the effect of, this is a public trail. If you don't like it, go back to your own property. And the guy says, I have my own property. I have acres of land. And they said, good, go to that and tell everybody to hold it down on your property. But this is a public park. You can't tell us to hold it down. I try to make sure that my wick on my temper is a lot longer today than it used to be. I ran by the guy and I'm the one who will throw the F-bomb out pretty easy. And I'll tell you this right up front. I generally respect older people. I was raised that way. But I have a standing rule. If, If you don't show me any respect, I won't show you any. So I ran by the guy and I just said, in my mind, wow, this guy's a real jackass. And I go by him and I say, hey, have a nice day. You know, kind of sarcastically smiling real big with my teeth showing, have a nice day, running by. And then Robert and Tracy said something to the guy, you know, about, well, yeah, go back home where you can tell people to hold it down. And he says, I do have my own property and you all need to get off this trail. And when he said something to that effect, that set my wick off. And I threw up my middle finger to the old man, said, fuck you, old man. You're the aggressive one here. You get off the trail. Don't tell us to leave the park. This is public property, man. You can't do that. Fuck you, old man. Yeah, that's me. Yelling at the old man. We run off. We're all like, what a jackass. What a complete asshole. 
And then we realize, shit, we got to run back by the guy on the way back. Then my mind kicks in, right? Now I'm going, fuck, that old man is some crazy killer dude, right? Where he's hearing ringing real loud in his head and it won't stop. And everybody's real loud and he has a gun in his pocket. And he's going to pull that out at any moment and go, you told me to fuck off. And guess what? I run slower than Robin Trey, so I'm by myself out on this trail, you know, because they got ahead and he let them by. He said, no, they didn't talk to me like that. And then I run up all slow and chubby like I am trying to get by, acting all crazy. And he pulls out his gun and he shoots me. Boom. And says, that'll learn you. Don't disrespect your elders. And I'll, as I am lay there dying, I go, I knew that. And I shouldn't have done it. But in reality, what happened was, and we did have to pass the guy. And I was by myself because I was a little bit behind Robin Tracy. We came up on the trail, an area of the trail, and it was there was just a bank to one side and a drop-off, far drop-off. So it was like we had to r- walk by each other and rub elbows. And he was so afraid, he jumped up on the hill and yanked his dog up the hill as well, or the embankment. And I said, fine. I didn't look at him. I didn't say anything. But the nervous on people, eh? I know, I should try to hold my temper. I really didn't start it, and I really started out okay. I think what set me off in that whole instance was when he told us to get off or leave the park. I'm a little sensitive there. So we're training for some races. Uh, I think Rob and Tracy have a race up coming up first. They're going to do the Bull Run 50 miler. And I said, a 50 miler in March? Fuck no, not me. Pass, please. But I do have a 50K coming up in May. No, April. Yeah, April. It's called the Grayson Highlands 50K, and it'll be the first time that I've ever run this one. And this one is run in Grayson Highlands State Park. It is considered the highest race in Virginia. And no, that doesn't mean you smoke a bowl and then you run a race. I think it means elevation-wise, it is the highest race in Virginia. So now I'm reading from its website. This 50K has 5,000 feet of climbing. Grayson Highlands is Virginia's third largest state park with just over 4,500 acres of land. This beautiful park is located in Grayson County, Southern Virginia. This is the highest state park in Virginia. And there you go. They are best known for our beautiful vistas and the wild ponies that live in the Highlands. Pause. I guarantee you if someone gets bitten by a pony, it will be me. Somehow. On accident. Expect to see spectacular views from all the trails and overlooks. On a clear day, you can see for 70 miles. I repeat, 70 miles. The park offers 15 miles of trails, which we will run almost all of. This is one of the few places left in south, in the south, where there still are fir trees. So anyways, it goes on and explains a little bit more. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm hyped. It sounds like fun, right? A new trail to run? A new course, a new event, a new experience, right? Because that's what we want, new experiences. Can't do the same thing all the time. Sometimes you can, like the Oil City, or not Oil City, what am I talking about? The Oil Creek Ultra in the fall. We love running that one. We have ties to that one, though. But we like to run that one every year because Rob and Trace are actually from that area. Their family is from that area that hosts that race. It's just some little place in Pennsylvania, but we like to do that one. Otherwise, though, the new races, that's fun, exciting. I don't know what to expect. So we'll be training. We are training more and more for that as it's coming, uh, as it's getting closer. I'm trying to work on my speed a little bit and time on my feet. 
Because I, when I run out of gas, I run out, and that's it. Uh-oh. Here we go, people. This was very necessary in coming. The following is a public service announcement brought to you by the simple thrills of a standard man. Now here's your host. I ain't scared. All right, time for another public service announcement, people, because there is something that's going on that's bothering me. It might be a pattern of the idiots. The idiots might be back. But this one is targeted towards responsible dog poop bag management. People, if you have dogs and you walk dogs in public places and your dog takes a shit and you do half the responsible thing and pick it up with the bag, don't leave the bag. That's worse. I can't even believe I have to do a public service announcement by by this. But here's what I mean. Go take a walk where there's a lot of dogs and a lot of people will bring the bags to pick up the shit, but then they don't take the bag with them. They leave it laying on the ground. And I live by some woods where like at night, let's say, or when there's a lot of leaves, you can just take the bag and huck it into the woods. But the problem is right now there aren't a lot of leaves. So when we go walking by this one area, stretch of area, where a lot of dogs are walked, you see a lot of these poop bags hanging from the trees. Like ornaments, decorations, Christmas ornaments, Christmas poop bag ornaments. So people, please, if your dog is going to shit in a public place and you intend to pick it up, throw the bag away. And need I remind you it's worse for the environment for a plastic bag. If you're just going to leave it there, leave it there in its natural habitat, in its natural form, so that it will go away eventually. I think plastic lasts a lot longer in the environment than does dog shit. All right. The Olympics wrapped up this weekend. That's what weekend it is. That's when I'm recording this. It's the end of the Olympics. They were held in South Korea. I'm not even going to attempt to say the name because I will mess it up. It is the coldest place in the world. That's where they held the Winter Olympics. I am a fan of the Winter Olympics. I liked them. I liked them a little less this year because the NHL players didn't go for the hockey. Because hockey is my favorite sport. So, of course, I look forward to the Winter Olympics, especially when there's a lot of the NHLers there. It makes it very fun. But they weren't there. Something with the Players Association and the Olympics and all this stuff and the NHL. And they said, fine, we're not going. So none of them went. So it wasn't as interesting to me. But there were a couple of interesting points from the Olympics and a couple interesting stories that came out of the Olympics. And I'm going to go ahead and... uh, Here's one that kind of bothered me a little bit. I want to get your opinion on it because am I overreacting to this? And that's what I don't know. I'm not really sure. Maybe I am. You tell me. Tell me what you think. Let me bring this up. So this article was posted in uh, on CNN and it was posted on February 13th. So a couple of weeks ago now. This is just as it was starting. And the title of this article was written by Emanuela Grinberg uh, on February 13th. And the title is Gay Athletes Are Making History at the 2018 Winter Olympics. So I'm going to read a little bit of the article and uh, so I can set the tone and we get, get a clear understanding of what I'm talking about. And then I'll tell you what bothers me about it. So it says, let's face it, gay athletes have probably been setting Olympic records since the days of the ancient Greeks. Agreed. 
But openly gay and lesbian athletes are another matter, especially in the Winter Olympics, which makes a couple of recent milestones all the more noteworthy. First, Team USA's Adam Rippon made Rippon, or however you say it, made history by becoming the first out gay man from the U.S. to medal in the Winter Olympics by taking home the bronze for his free skate performance. Then Canadian Eric Radford became the first openly gay Winter Olympics champion after winning the gold with partner Megan Duhamel in the pair's free skate performance. Okay, all good. I'm all good so far. The milestones come after NBC faced criticism for straight-washing its coverage of opening ceremonies by not identifying LGBTQ athletes in the same way it highlights athletes for their gender or ethnic backgrounds. Problem. I have an issue here, and maybe I'm wrong. Like I said, I need my friends to help me out with this one here. But here's what I don't understand. When have we talked about people's sexual orientation? or their gender, for that matter, in the Olympics. Please provide me with an example. Let's see. All right, so here, so when they said straightwashing, they created a link to another article. Let's read this article and see what it says. NBC failed to mention or highlight a single out LGBTQ athlete in its three hours of opening ceremony covered Friday night. They also failed to take various opportunities to mention, mention any gay or lesbian people. LGBTQ issues or any other connection to the LGBTQ community whatsoever. What the fuck are we talking about? We never talk about sexual orientation or gender issues at the Olympics. We talk about athletes. Listen, if everybody wants to be treated equally, why do I have to point out somebody's sexual orientation? That drives me nuts. And you know what? I object to you calling me a hater because that's bullshit. I support gay marriage. I support openly gay communities. I am on your side. I'm there. But I have an issue with this type of journalism. This is pandering to the gay community. That's what it's doing. When do we talk about that kind of stuff in the Olympics? Never. That's when we talk about it. Have you ever heard this? Oh, and coming up on for the ski, uh, the skier for Sweden, this is um, Joshkin Hagland, and um, he's a straight man, and uh, he's very heterosexual, and he has a female partner. Bullshit. Never heard it. Never, ever, ever. So why do you want to talk about gay athletes like that? How about if we just call them all athletes? That's really getting rid of the problem, isn't it? When you no longer see that stuff, and everybody's just people? Isn't that what we're going for? Oh my gosh. If I'm wrong, fine. Tell me about it. Tell me where I'm wrong here. Tell me what what I'm missing. Good gracious, man. And you want to call me out on anything? You know what I did? I I said, look, let's do this. I found some terminologies from the human rights campaign, okay? Sexual orientation and gender identity definitions. Okay, here's gender identity. One's innermost concept of self as male, female, or blend of both or neither. How individuals perceive themselves and what they call themselves. One's gender identity can be the same or different from their sex as assigned at birth. I agree. That's fine. That's a good gender identity definition. And here is sexual orientation. It's an inherent or immutable, enduring, emotional, romantic, or sexual attraction to other people. Okay, 
Once again, this is not a bash any of the LGBTQ community. But when have we talked about that stuff in the Olympics? And I don't know when it was. I never remember talking about somebody's gender identity. If I'm wrong, tell me, please. I need to be enlightened. I need to see what I'm missing here. Moving on. Curling. What's up with that? Now, I'm going to tell you this. I like curling. I actually like it. I think it's kind of interesting. And the United States won gold. First time the men's curling USA curling team ever won gold. That's pretty awesome. And it seems like a sport that's going to stick around. And hell, if I'm going to play the sport, I want a gold medal, right? I kind of wondered, though, what kind of endorsements are you going to get? Do you get it from the, the curling uh, tools or the, the, the components that you have to use for the sport? You know, like how a baseball guy or like a baseball player is endorsed by bats or something. I'm endorsed by these curling brooms. Is that how it works? I'm not really sure. My only problem with this, I don't know if it deserves to be in the Olympics. I mean, let's face it. It's ice bowling. It's kind of like bowling, but on ice. And realistically, it's no more of a sport than shuffleboard. So why not add shuffleboard to the Olympics? Checkers, chess. Hell, we can do a lot of these passive, slow games. Add them to the Olympics so that everybody can medal. That way, everybody can be a winner. I'm just kidding. And like I said, congratulations, U.S. curling team. I just don't know if that's a sport. Here's something really cool, finally, from the Olympics. Um, when I was watching some coverage the first couple of days, Scott Hamilton was being interviewed, and he's a great guy. And he made a comment, or he made a statement that really stuck with me. And it's something to this effect, and I tried to write it down and quote it as best as I could remember it, and I played it back a couple of times. And here's what he said. And here's Scott Hamilton. We are designed for struggle. We are better off. We're more in touch with who we are as individuals in the struggle, much more than we are in our good fortune. Treat the horrible things in life with the same respect and dignity as you do the wonderful things in your life. 
Let me read that part again. Treat the horrible things in life with the same respect and dignity as you do the wonderful things in your life. That's some powerful shit, man. I really like that. That's a good saying. Makes me go, that guy understands people at a different level or at a level that I don't truly understand yet. But I got to say something like that someday, you know? I want to have a saying written down where people go, damn, that's pretty prolific. Is that the word? I think it is. I'm going to keep it in the recording, even if it's not. And then you can tease me if I use the wrong word. Anyways, way to go, Scott Hamilton. You are a true champion. So let's go on to the weight loss challenge. I don't even know where we are at. Like in weigh-ins and not weigh-ins. I think there's been a couple ups and downs. Different people at different times have had ups and downs. And okay, this last week, I was the big loser in this. And it, and it wasn't the big loser at losing the most. I was the big loser at not even posting on time. It just got in my head. I fell off real hard. Everybody else seemed to be on track. I think everybody else dropped a little bit or stayed the same from the week before. Except for me, I didn't even weigh in. I became very discouraged. I had a kind of a difficult week or a little bit more stressful than usual. You know, just with my schedule. And I think I found myself eating a little later at night or not being as, as guarded about my diet as I usually am. And I just didn't want to face that failure. See, I'm just a regular person going through this stuff just like anybody else. You know, where I can't just tell you some great saying and say, just this is how you fix that and remember this and these cliche sayings and, and then be on my way again. I struggle just like anybody else. And this is part of the struggle. So this week I need to be better. I need to be on my game. I hope you're on your game. If you're trying to do something, if you're trying to live a better lifestyle, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing good. I hope you're kicking its ass because sometimes it can kick your ass. And I think that's where I was this last week. You know, there's so much information out there. I thought it would be a good thing to have so much information out there because we could finally know the truth about things or we could get to the truth sooner. But I never considered that there's a lot of untruth mixed in the truth. There's a lot of bullshit mixed in there. You know? There's a lot of manure mixed into the dirt. And a lot of it's on purpose. And you know, interestingly, mass communications have been studied for years. These, these types of effects have been studied for years. Or the potential for these types of effects. I mean, even since the invention of the radio, there have been people saying, what kind of influence... An effect will let this have on people to be able to send out broadcast messages to the masses all at once. How is it going to influence the thinking of people? These things have been studied for years. This isn't some crazy shit that I'm making up. And it's not some radical political thing. It's farthest from the truth. I'm just trying to share information that I found because I'm concerned for you, my friends. Yeah, this stuff has been studied for years. There's something called the framing theory. See, one of the things that has been going around the news a lot is fake news. It's fake news. It's fake. Well, some. Yeah, some is bullshit. Some has been proven to be bullshit. Other stuff has been proven to be true. But I'm interested in considering the context in which the information is presented. There's something called the framing theory, okay, in communications. And I find this very interesting, okay? This isn't a classroom today. We're not in class today. 
Okay, we're just talking about things in the news and the media because it's very interesting to me and I want to share this information with you. So let's let's look at this framing theory. Basically, the concept of framing is related to agenda setting, okay? To the agenda setting tradition, but it expands the research by focusing on the essence of the issues at hand rather than on a particular topic. In essence, framing theory suggests that how something is presented to the audience, called the frame, influences the choices people make about how to process that information. Frames are abstractions that work to organize or structure message meaning. So, in other words, if we're talking about illegal immigration, all right, one side of the media may choose to present information about illegal immigrants, kids who have done outstanding in school that are standing to go to Ivy League schools because they're so smart, while the other side of the media may choose to post stories about illegal immigrants who were drunk driving and killed three people, three citizens, you know, on some Friday evening on the way home from work. It's framed to get you to think a certain way. These stories are framed. It's not necessarily information that's not true. I mean, it's not false. It's not information that's necessarily false. It could be very true, but they want to get a certain feeling out of you. They want, they want you to think a certain way about certain things. We're being programmed to an extent, and this isn't my crazy talk here. This is just mass communication studies. It's theory. We see it in action. You know, look, sometimes these stories on social media, I can't tell if they're true or false. I can't tell when they happened, when they didn't happen, right? We're, we're, it's so much information. We're in information overload that we're all getting confused a little bit. Starting to believe stories that aren't true, not believing stories that are true. It's crazy here. And get this. Just recently, I heard a story on TV, or I, I watched a story on TV, a news story about fake reviews on the internet and how they're causing problems. So basically what's going on are there are companies and people that can be hired to write fake reviews for products and services. Now just think about information overload. We can't really tell what's true and what's not anymore. And it's really a shame. I would think that I'm just like a lot of other people out there. When I go to buy a product or, or want a service, I look at the reviews. And now we're being told that a lot of these reviews are fake. And I know all of us probably assumed a little bit, like if everything is ruled the best, right? You can kind of go, ah, well, they probably made up their own reviews. Because nobody gets 100% five stars, you know, like with, with hundreds or thousands of reviews. And then you also have to be careful of the lower ones, you know, like where maybe the competitor logged in and wrote a nasty review to sort of turn people off from the product or service. But now it's openly acknowledged there are companies, there's a company in Ukraine that is hired to write positive reviews for people. So now, let's take that one step further. If you can be hired to write positive reviews, can I also hire you to write negative reviews for my competition? And this is a shame because this was kind of a cool thing. It was information for the people, made by the people for the people. This was really cool. And now people have capitalized on it. They've monetized. That's the word, I think. <laughs> Because I go to college, they've monetized something that used to be so organic and real, and, and now they're ruining it for profit. 
It sort of invalidates the whole thing, right? I mean, that's what it kind of does. Oh, man. Just disappoints me sometimes, you know? There's a few news stories I want, I've been saving up for you. I wanted to talk to you about. See what you think. Let's start with this one here. Now, this was pretty cool. A lot of times, a lot of my friends think I'm only left-leaning, and I maintain myself that I am in the middle. And I do lean left in certain areas, and I lean right in other areas, because I'm in the middle. I like to make my own decisions. I don't want to be told how I'm supposed to think about anything. So, <clears throat> this one is was posted in CNN.com, uh, and... It's in the, it was in the money section, and it was posted on February 12th. So obviously, it's a couple weeks old. I've been saving these for the right time to discuss them with you. But this is, says the White House wants to deliver food to the poor, Blue Apron style. Okay, now this was written by Tammy Lobby. L-U-H-B-Y. How do you say that? Lobby. It's, Hi, I'm Tammy Lobby. 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 Uh, February 12th. And uh, I'm going to read the first part of the article and sort of give you a gist of what's going on. It says, now, think of it as Blue Apron for food stamps recipients. That's how Budget Director Mick Mulvaney described the Trump administration's proposal to replace nearly half of the poor Americans' monthly cash benefits with a box of food. It would affect households that receive at least $90 a month in food stamps, or roughly 38 million people. And here's what it's called. USDA America's Harvest Box is a bold, innovative approach to providing nutritious food to people who need assistance, feeding themselves and their families. And all of it is homegrown by American farmers and producers, said Agriculture Secretary, Secretary Sonny Perdue in a statement. It maintains the same level of food value as SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, Participants currently receive, provide states flexibility in administering the program, and is responsible to the taxpayers. Part of the president's fiscal 2019 budget blueprint, the idea immediately sparked concerns and questions among consumer advocates and food retailers. They feared it would upend it would upend a much-needed benefit for more than 80% of those in the program. So in other words, what the Trump administration is proposing we do is create a box full of food that the American farmers and producers have created of healthy stuff that we give to these families in need in lieu of their food stamps or cut their food stamps like in half and give them some food. I think it's a good idea. What's wrong with that idea? Why is that really a problem? Food stamps are meant... To help you in need when you're need when you're need of something. And the word food is in there. Part of that need would be food. So if I give you food, why do I need to give you the food stamps? And I'm gonna tell you from firsthand experience, okay? I'm gonna tell you two things. Okay, first, I believe in state provided help. I believe in it and I support that idea. And anybody who is truly down on their luck, say it again. Anybody that is truly down on their luck. I want them to have help. They need to have help. But there are a lot of people who just take the help and don't really need the help that are more lazy. And I get that. And I understand that that's an issue. But that's an issue for another day. And the other thing I was going to say is I currently forgot. So I'm trying to go back and think about what that is. Oh, 
Oh, I know what it is. Okay. So as I said, I support some type of social program, some type of social assistance. Okay. I'm there to an extent. I have also witnessed firsthand by my own eyes, people using food stamps to buy what I would consider questionable shit if you're on food stamps. It's just my opinion. Of course, everybody has one, right? But why not? I think it's a good idea. Let's give people boxes of food. It also helps the farmers, right? Keeps other people employed. It cuts down on our tax burden. And we're still helping people. It's like a win-win situation. Some of the arguments against, I don't know, are kind of weak. Like, how are they supposed to pick up their box of food? Fuck it. Create some food stamp way of, of Uber, right? I don't know. Why is that a problem anyways? Here's what I mean. If I give you food stamps, you got to go to the grocery store to get food, right? I mean, that's what you're going to use with, with the food stamps. So why does it all of a sudden become an argument about these boxes, these Blue Apron style boxes of food? Go pick up your box of food from some distributor. What's the difference? Really, that's kind of a bullshit argument, isn't it? See, and then there's people saying, no, those people need more. I, look, assistance is assistance to keep, you know, to keep you from starving. And we, are, we should be responsible enough to help everybody out. And that need, I don't want to turn anybody away. I mean, that'd be ridiculous, right? Look how fat we all are. Collectively, as a society, I know. Did I offend you? I'm sorry. Maybe I'm a little salty today. You think so? I don't feel it. Now here's one from Fox News. Okay. I'm sure you all heard. Let's just move on. Right? As you can tell, as I'm bringing up another article, I've already moved on from the food stuff. Just, but you know what? Congratulations, Trump and the administration for coming up with a good idea. I support it. Anyways, so from February 12th, this was at the beginning of the Olympics, okay? I think on opening ceremony night, Katie Couric was mocked for making comments about the Dutch speed skating team. Now, I think this is her, this is her quote, okay? It's probably not a newsflash to tell you the Dutch are really, really good at speed skating. Why are they so good, you may be asking yourself? Couric mused during Friday's opening ceremony. Because skating is an important mode of transportation in a city like Amsterdam. It's come to find out that that's complete bullshit. That the Dutch don't go skating around, on, don't go ice skating around to work and stuff. They don't use it as a primary mode of transportation anymore, if they ever did even. I don't know, I'm not a history buff about the Dutch. I do know that a lot of Dutch people say, <laughs> that gets cute, Katie Couric, but it's not true. I have no reason to not believe that it's not true. Okay, fine. Katie Couric made herself look like an asshole. And you know what? We all should laugh at it. We should all be able to just laugh at it. And that's really cool. I'm a little bit saddened, though, by some of the comments that I read on Fox News because then, you know, it came out like, stupid, dumbass liberals, us conservatives. And I'm like, come on. Can't we just all laugh at Katie Couric's idiotic statement? Why do we have to bring it there? And then I started thinking, you know, with all these fake reviews and all this kind of shit, are these types of posts just from these ideologues that just try want to spark us, that want to keep us angry? See, I do think that that's maybe part of a problem. You know, they want to keep us in the dark. They want to keep us fighting. I don't know why, but I think it's happening. They want to keep us eating the blue pill. 
Well, wasn't it the blue pill in the matrix? They kept you in the matrix. They don't want to give us the red pill. They don't want us to wake up. Yeah, I'm just going into my uh, love for that movie. Is life like the matrix? I don't know. But hey, look, Katie Kirk did say something stupid. I can appreciate that. I don't want to make it political. Can't we just make it about somebody saying something stupid on TV? Next. Here goes. This is the weirdest story I've ever heard. And I haven't, I, tr- I looked for some updates and I can't really find out if, uh, I, I really haven't found any updates on it. Now this story appeared on Valentine's Day, right around the time when the Parkland shooting thing happened. But this was on, I was actually on weather.com looking up the weather for my area. And here's the story. So this story is from the Associated Press from February 14th. And I'm going to read you a piece of the article. What I'm reading right now is the Bangor, like I think is in Bangor, Maine, the Daily News. And this article, once again, is from the Associated Press. It says, Wilmington, New York, police on Wednesday were trying to piece together how a 49-year-old skier whose disappearance sparked a massive search in a snowy New York mountainside ended up six days later in California, confused and still in ski clothes. So apparently what happened, this Toronto firefighter, his name is Constantinos Danny Philippidis, I think I said his name right, told investigators he doesn't know what happened after he was reported missing Wednesday, February 7th from Whiteface Mountain during an annual ski trip. So he went with a bunch of friends to an area, the Adirondacks, I guess that's in New York, right? I'm not real familiar with the area. He went with a bunch of friends, they're skiing on the mountain, and he disappears. Six days later, he calls his wife from fucking Sacramento, California, the other coast, 2,500 miles away. He has $1,000 cash on him. He got a haircut and he has no idea how he ended up in California. Yeah, that's a weird fucking story, right? Is that real? I don't even think it could be real. But I found nothing to say that it's fake. Here's what it says. He had phoned his wife and called her by a nickname. She quickly recognized the voice that it was him. Then they lost contact and he contacted her again. And they kept him on the phone and asked him to call 911 to get him as soon as possible. He was disoriented. Philippidis told deputies he remembered little but thought he had suffered a head injury. Rode in a big rig style truck and slept a lot. Could it possibly be that he got injured skiing down the mountain, knocked himself silly, where he kind of forgot what the fuck he was doing, got in a truck with someone, and rode over to the West Coast and came around? That's crazy sounding, right? It's scary. It's, it's kind of scary. I don't know why, but it's kind of scary to think. The human condition can happen like that, or the human experience can occur like that. It freaks me out, man. Oh, you want, shall, we, shall we top weird? How about this one? So a few years ago, there was a study done, right? Of some people that stayed in space at that space station for a year. You, do you remember this? The guy's name was Scott Kelly, okay? And uh, this story is post, once again, from CNN. And it's, I do go between CNN and Fox News. CNN is probably more of my preference, but it's not because I'm like, oh, see, look at all the bad stuff Trump is doing. I'm actually very critical about that. It's very disheartening just to constantly be going after the president like that. It's tiresome. 
but I'm used to going to CNN. Even for a long time, a few years ago, when we all still liked each other, regardless of our political affiliation, CNN was just a place to go to look for news. And that's kind of the way I look at it. So there's this story about this guy, Scott Kelly, who spent a year up in space at the space station because they wanted to conduct studies and see what the body, what happens to the body when you're in space for as long as, you, as that. So he came back and he did all these studies and they found some weird shit about his chromosomes like they were lengthened while he was in space. And the interesting thing about this is, is that he has a twin who stayed on Earth when he was up in the space station for a year. Okay? And comparative between his twin's chromosomes and his, his lengthened while he was in space. And this is the part that blew me away. And fine, if you don't believe me, I don't blame you. But he was two inches taller when he came back. That's what they claim. That's what NASA claims. As the dude came back from space, two inches taller. Holy shit. Really? Is that how it works? That's pretty amazing, right? Two inches taller. Golly. I might want to spend a year in space if I could get two inches taller. But that's some crazy shit, right? Well, look, I've been babbling here for a long time. You know how you can reach me. At STSM Podcast on Twitter. Or Lair Tib, that's L-A-R-T-H-I-B, at Bumpire.net. B-U-M-P-I-R-E.net. I look forward to hearing from you, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Take it easy. Stand up, shout out, it's all part of a rock and roll tradition. Stand up, shout out, it's all part of a rock and roll tradition, yeah. The Simple Thrills of a Standard Man is a Bumpire Media production. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Bumpire Media. That's at Bumpire Media. Bumpire Media.